John 10.10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And so just title the message, Abundant Life in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege to have to open your precious word. Thank you, Father, for the truths of thy word, and I pray, Father, would help us to uh, apply those truths in our everyday life for your glory and for, the f- for our good and for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you, in, if, if in school, uh, if you were in history, were taught about the, 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 the colonization of the Americas and, and, and one man in particular, Ponce de Leon. What's Ponce de Leon known for? No? What did he look for? The Fountain of Youth, Ponce de Leon. And, 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 you know, I was reading a little bit about this, and, and there's some people that say, well, you know, there's a lot of speculation surrounding it. But, but he was looking for a fountain of youth, and it was supposedly in Florida somewhere. Well, I don't know if there's any fountains of youth in Florida, but there are a lot of people, a lot of old people go there. But anyway, but, you know, <laughs> maybe that's why, I don't know. But... Uh, but he was looking for a fountain of youth, something to bring healing to his aging body. I assume that's why he was looking for it. A lot of people in the world today are looking for that kind of same thing. Think about it. There's all kinds of ads for you know, cures of this and that, and, and a lot of it has to do with just getting old. And, you know, they have these, they have these, people are looking for uh, kinds of things to not only heal them of their physical ailments and to live like, and act like they're going to live forever, but they're also, when it comes to spiritual things, they're looking for an escape, an easy out. Uh, And, of course, we live in an age of knowledge and education and technology, but all these things, with all these things, there's more depression and murders and all that kind of stuff than ever before. Education makes, just makes a crook more educated, smarter crook. And we see here in John 10 that in verse 10, there's, there's a contrast that Jesus gives us concerning himself and the devil. Um, and the devil, you know, it could be referred to here, any type of false religion is of the devil, and, and he, he says that the thief, and I believe it's referring to the devil, cometh not but for to steal, steal, and to kill, and to destroy. So the three things he mentions, to steal, the word steal here means to take away by stealth, secret, not openly acknowledged. You know, and I, and I, never, I never understood this before. You know, I, I realize my education isn't, you know, I'm not a doctor or anything like that, but... but uh, I did do well in school. But anyway, you know, the word thief has the idea of taking it away, taking something away from you secretly. Well, the word rob means to, to take from someone by unlawful force or threat of violence. 
So there's a distinction made there. And the word steal here means to take away by stealth, to secretly or not openly acknowledge. And of course, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11, Paul warns us there that the devil is full of wiles. Ephesians 6, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And the word wiles means deceit, craftiness, or trickery. You know, he, will, he will try and, and destroy you by craft, by tricks, by deceit, by deceiving you. Uh, in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 again, <clears throat> in verses 13 through 15, the Bible says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed. Now, we know that word this morning, ministers, is an underrower, one who comes to the aid of. And, and so he has his ministers who, who are transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So they, they, don't, they don't come out and say, you know, a false preacher don't tell you he's a false preacher. He does it by deceit or secretly. That, and you know, that's the way false doctrine works. I remember when my wife was in Bible college, spent a year in Bible college, and she began to tell me some things that her doctor, doctrine teacher was teaching. And he was very clever with it. He was a very intellectual man. And, uh, you know, for example, in Romans where God loved Jacob and hated Esau. And he talked about that's a sovereign choice of God. That's the election of God. And she said, you know, it really kind of makes sense. And I said, hmm, sounds like Calvinism to me. And I said, did he ever say anything about the teachings of John Calvinism or, or, uh, or, or unconditional election or the depravity, you know, uh, uh, an unlimited atonement and all the things that the Calvinists said, no. Do you know, he, he went through his whole spill on giving out what, what Calvinism really is and never identified what it was. But you've got to believe the Bible. I mean, it's right there in the Bible. If you, of course, you have to take the scriptures out of context with the rest of the Bible because there's some problems, passages. But he had a way of trying to explain those too. You know, false teachers don't come out and tell you, you know, I'm a false teacher. They do it very slyly. And that's the way the devil is. He wants to steal. He wants to ruin you. He wants, he'll give you some of the truth, just not all the truth. It's okay to obey some of the truth, just not all of it. And it doesn't matter how close you get. Just don't believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so, he is a thief. He's come to steal. He's come to kill. The word kill here means sacrifice. It really means sacrifice. 
Now, I thought about that a bit, and I thought, you know, he sacrificed Judas to achieve his goal. He don't care. I mean, he, he, didn't, he didn't use Judas or, 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 or you know, and I, and I believe that the devil has his ministers seeking followers of the devil. He didn't seek Judas out for Judas's good. He sought Judas out for his own good and for his own gain. That's what false teachers do. And so he sacrificed Judas to achieve his goal of portraying Jesus to have him put to death. And then he's, he's, Jesus said also he'd come to, to destroy. The word destroy means here to put away, put out of the way entirely, to abolish, to put an end to, to ruin. You know, 1 Peter 5.8, again, speaking of the devil, 1 Peter 5.8, Peter says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom he may put an end to, or whom he may ruin or abolish, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. See, this... Satan is out to discredit or destroy you and I. And Jesus said in verse 8, there's an interesting statement he makes here in verse 8, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. You know, all the, all the false religions that came before me are thieves and robbers. They're set out to deceive and destroy you to an eternity without hope, without God, in a place called hell. But Jesus said in verse 10 there again, But I am come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. So there's a great contrast here between between the work of Christ and the work of the devil. You know, the interesting thing is, Christ sacrificed himself. Think about it this way. Christ sacrificed himself for us. Did the devil ever sacrifice himself? Hmm. No. So he said, I am come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly, and I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. You know, Satan will ne- never has given his life for anyone. But I want to look at this a little bit at what's it mean that I am come they might have life and they might have it more abundant. You know, so we're talking about eternal life, you know, a life that, that is forever, that's eternal, and we understand all that. But it, but it says life uh, more abundantly. The words more abundantly means over and above, more than necessary, super added. I didn't even know that was a word, but super added. That's the definition of, 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 of the Greek lexicon. Super added. It's, it's used like this, Mark six fifty one. He went up into them, into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed beyond measure and wondered. Beyond measure, it's translated there, beyond measure. So something that couldn't be measured. 
Ephesians 3.20 and 21. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly. You know, both those words exceeding and abundantly seek of something more than we can measure. Above all we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. So, so we're talking about something that's more than we can really be measured. So what does that mean to us? You say, preacher, that sounds good. What's it really mean, more abundantly? Well, this is the best way I can describe it. In every situation, in every circumstance, I can rely, trust in my Lord to provide for my needs and protect me from the enemy and to direct me in the right way. Now let me give you some examples. Let's go to Philippians first, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Now, I didn't say my wants. I said my needs. Philippians 4, verse 5. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So there's the, the peace of God, so we're to, to cast every, every care, every situation, every circumstance to the Lord with thanksgiving, and the peace of God shall keep us through our circumstances in every trial, uh, in the face of every enemy, in, in the face of every need. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Then verse 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And of course, I'm not, you know, if you put all that in context, Paul's talking about the, the difficulties. He, he said, uh, you know, in, ver- in fact, in verse, uh, 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 verse 10 and 11, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you also were careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in what sort of state I am therewith to be, be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all those things. I can, I can abound and I can be in need. And I can endure it through Christ, which strengthens me. Now, so... You know, to the, the more abundant life talks about having the peace of God in the midst of all these different circumstances that Paul went through. He understood that God was directing in his affairs, and he let God have that prerogative in his life. You know, that's a struggle that we all have. Let's look at some examples in uh, the Old Testament. 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. First Kings chapter 17. <clears throat> Verse 8. 
Um, and the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, this is Elijah, Rise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. He called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and for my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not. Go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. So we see here that God, in the time of need, God provided for this widow and her son and for Elijah. But it was not without a risk. She had to make him a little cake first. And she said, I only have enough to make a cake for me and my son. So she took him at his word. Trusted him to provide for her needs and his. And to direct her way. Look at Second Kings chapter 6. Second Kings chapter 6. <clears throat> Second Kings 6, Elisha has been counseling the king of, uh, of uh, Israel and warning him about the king of Assyria who's going to come to certain such a place and warning him that he's coming there and saves him not once nor twice. And so the king of Assyria is getting a little perturbed about all this and he decides... Hey, which one of you servants of mine is telling the king of Israel? And they said, and one of them says, none of us are. It's that prophet in Israel. He knows what you're saying in the camp. So he says, verse 13, he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And he told, it was told him, saying, Behold, is he in Dothan. Then sent he hither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. When the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city both with horses and chariots, and his servant said unto him, Alas, master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots and fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray with blindness. He smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha said unto them, this is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. So again, we see here God provided protection, and God provided a provision. He provided direction. And you go over to chapter 7, at the end of chapter 6, there's a, there's a famine in Samaria uh, to the point where women are eating their sons. And Elisha, and the king is, you know, he's, he's had it. And he said, I'm going to take off the head of Elijah, and Elisha's just sitting in his house. He's relaxing. He's resting. 
in the promises of God for him. And, and of course, in chapter 7, we know that the four leprous men go outside the city gates and find all this loot. So again, God provided provision, protection, and direction. And when the Bible says in John 10.10 that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly, it's that God has provided everything that we need over and above what we need to live the Christian life. Now, the phrase here that I want to draw your attention to in verse 10 is this, that they might have it. That they might have it. Now, Again, the definition to that is to have, to possess, is said of opportunities, benefits, advantages, conveniences, which one enjoys or can make use of. You know, we have been promised life, and we've been promised an abundant life. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to be rich, wealthy. It could. For some, it may be. That's not the promise here. Though Again, the word might is used to express possibility. We must apply God's promises to everyday life. It is not dependent on our feelings or someone else or the circumstances of life. We have to trust the Lord in every situation, every circumstance. And this is one of the great struggles of the Christian life. I don't believe there's anybody. Well, there's a few in the Bible that doesn't speak of those struggles. But many of the heroes, the heroes of the Bible had these struggles. Trusting the Lord in every situation, in every circumstance. Let me give you a few examples. Abraham comes into the land of Canaan. He separates from Lot. He makes an altar. He builds an altar. And the Lord says, look to the east, to the west, to the north, to the south. All this land will I give to thee and thy children after thee. So this is the promised land for him. Then a famine comes. And what does Abraham do? God, you promised me this is my promised land. Is that what he did? No. He went to Egypt. He looked elsewhere. He didn't stay where God promised him the land and promised him to prosper. He went to Egypt. Moses, the man referred to in the book of Acts, as mighty in word and deed. Said, oh, Lord, I, I, I'm not eloquent. You know, Gideon, who's threshing his wheat, 
at night to hide it from the Midianites. And the Lord appears to him and says, Thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon says, Oh, oh wait a minute, Lord. Uh, I'm from the least tribe in Israel. And my family is least in the tribe that we're in, in the least tribe. Uh, you know, and, and I am the least in my house. Three strikes, you're out, right? So I am off the hook. That's what he was hoping for. In other words, I, 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 I can get out of this because I'm the least. You know, we are the least tribe, and, and I, our family is the least in the tribe, and I'm the least in my family. So I'm off the hook, right? No. It's not about you, Gideon. It's about me. You know, David, mighty man of valor, one day said, Saul will kill me. I may as well go to Achish, king of Gath. I may as well go to the enemy, and then he won't look for me there. Elijah, he defeats the prophets of Baal and then runs from Jezebel and asks to die. I mean, think about the things that Elijah did. And he runs from, you know, he, he, he slew, they, they slew those 400 prophets of Baal in one day, and then he runs from Jezebel, and then he asks to die. I mean, we could criticize all we want, but did you ever have yourself a pity party? I know I have. Uh, Jeremiah said, he was called the weeping prophet. Jeremiah said, I'm going to just quit. Now, that's my interpretation of Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7 through 9. He said, I'm not going to speak any more in his name. I'm just going to quit. I, you know, I was ordained a prophet to the nation of Israel, but I'm just going to quit. Because they aren't listening to me, and even my family's against me, so I'm just going to quit. Peter, Luke chapter 5, said, O Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And then he says, a little later on, I will die with you. And then just a little bit later, he says, uh, I don't know who that man is. Now, why would Peter have said that? Because he was uh, afraid. He's afraid. You know, later, Peter penned 1 Peter 5.8. And I had to wonder, you know, this thought just occurred to me. I have to wonder if Peter thought about the time that he was pressured by the world to deny he knew his Lord. And he succumbed to the tempter because of fear. See, what am I saying to you? You know, if we want, what I'm saying is this. If we want to experience the abundant life he has promised, we must claim his promises. Trust his words and obey his commands. And, you know, these, these that I've spoken of here tonight struggled with that very thing. They were real people living in real time that had real struggles, just like you and I have. But they still saw God do great things in their lives through them. You know, that least man from the least tribe, from the least family, that was the least in his family? 
I mean, he defeated the, 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 was the Midianites or the Moabites with 300 men. You see, God wants to give us life and life more abundant. He wants us to know his promises and his will accomplished in and through us. But we simply need to appropriate those promises. You know, Peter, look at, look at 1 Peter chapter 5 again. And I want you to, to notice verse 9. Peter understood this very clearly because he experienced it. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. And you know, everyone has this affliction. We, like I say, we all struggle with this affliction. We have a tempter, an adversary. That's out to devour us. Devour us. But Peter said, resist him steadfast in the faith. In other words, you keep trusting God and you will overcome the devil who is out to destroy you or to devour you like a roaring lion. And so... You know, we need, to, we need to take God at his word, trust his word, obey his commandments. You know, Deuteronomy 4.40 says this, Thou shalt keep therefore his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee this day, that it may go well with thee and with thy children after thee, that thou mayest prolong thy days upon the earth, which the Lord thy God giveth thee forever. Psalm 34.10, The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good Think. Psalm 84.11 For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. See, God will give grace the enablement to endure the afflictions that we face in the world, the circumstances, the trials of life. He'll give grace if we will seek him. He is like a sun and a shield. And no good thing Thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. So when Jesus said, I have come, they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly, you know, we can have the peace and joy that God desires of us to have if we will simply rely on him in every circumstance, in every trial of life, in every situation. But we have to apply that. You know, Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 are some of my favorite verses. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Right there's my problem. That's my biggest problem right there. Keeping my mind stayed on him. Because he trusts. See, if we would keep our minds stayed, fixed on him, 
and not on our circumstances, not on our situations, but stayed on Him. He said, because He trusteth in thee. See, the fruit of a mind stayed on Him is trust. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord, in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Strength that will never end. Unending strength. Without limit. You know, that's two ideas. A, a, a strength that will never end, but also without limit. That, that can, strength that can enable you to endure anything that the world and devil may throw in your path. And one of the things my brother said to me was, there's just, there's just no hope. I said, well, I don't agree. As long as you're alive, there is. As long as there's a God, there is. But see, we must, uh, we must appropriate the promises of God. In his book on, on um, illustrations, Donald Gray Barnhart, who was a Presbyterian preacher from years ago, told this story. He said years ago, it's called Crackers and Cheese Christians. And he says, years ago, a Scotchman arrived in Liverpool where he was to bark for his journey to America. He fingered the few shillings that made up his total earthly capital and decided he would economize on food during the trip in order to have more money on hand when he reached New York. He went to a small store and laid in a supply of crackers and cheese to get him through the days at sea. But as the voyage progressed, the sea air made him very hungry. To make matters worse, the dampness in the air made his crackers soft and his cheese hard. He was almost desperate with hunger. To cap the climax, he caught the fragment whiff of food on a tray as a steward was carrying to another passenger. The hungry man made up his mind that he would have one good square meal, even though it might take several of his shillings. He waited the return of the steward and asked him how much it would cost to go to the dining room and get a dinner. The steward asked the Scotchman if he had a ticket for the, stewardship, or the steamship passage. The man showed his ticket, and the steward told him that all meals were included in the price. The poor man could have saved money. He spent on crackers and cheese. He could have gone to the dining room and eaten as much as he liked every mealtime. He said, this is a humble picture of a position of many people who have believed in Christ as Savior. Because of that faith, they are saved, but they go on their miserable way without appropriating any of the blessings God has for them in Christ. How terrible is the responsibility of these crackers and cheese Christians. You should have no joy to those who are looking for the reality of joy in life. Yet it was all provided for them in Christ. Your Romans 8.32 says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how, how, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? See, God will give us everything we need. We must seek it and rely on it and appropriate it in our life. God desires to give it to us, but we have not because we ask not. See, God wants to give us abundant life. You know, that isn't a life without trials. That's not what I say. But it's a life of having 
the peace of God our measure in those trials and the promise that he will meet our every need through those trials. And we just need to rest in those promises. You see, we have a Savior that gave us life for us that we might have abundant life in him.